0: Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's uh, open our Bibles to Acts chapter 2 this morning. Our Heavenly Father, You know exactly where we are at emotionally, spiritually, the kind of baggage that we bring with us in our lives, in our minds, what we're dealing with. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning, that you're faithful. And now, Father, as we, as a body assembled together, as we are gathered together, we pray that you would instruct us from your word about what the church, your people, are to be like. What we're to be devoted to. Thank you, Lord, the week by week we have the freedom of assembly and the ability to consider what God has spoken through those that you use to write these words down. Bless this time, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. I distinctly remember my family Bible. And I remember as a child finding that Bible in the bottom drawer of one of the pieces of furniture in my parents' bedroom. And one of the things I noticed about this Bible, it was was huge. It was humongous. And it weighed a lot. I was even wondering if I was able to pick it up as a little child. But I did manage to pick it up. And the second thing I noticed about it is it was really stiff. It's because it was rarely opened. And the other thing I noticed about it, it had dust on it. Just to show you how often we would actually read it. Somebody once said that if everybody in the world read their Bibles at the same time, it would be the biggest dust storm in history. <laughs> on a serious note, Dr. Michael Vlatch from TheologicalStudies.org said, there is a crisis of biblical knowledge in the American church. And he said that the most widely known Bible verse among adults and teenagers is, get ready for it, God helps those who help themselves. Which of course is not in the Bible at all. It was written by Ben Franklin. It's actually contradictory to what the Bible teaches, but that's what most people see as it's in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. A while back, Jay Leno was interviewing people in his audience about the Bible. And he said, can any of you name one of the Ten Commandments? And somebody piped up immediately and said, God helps those who help themselves. Well, first of all, that's not even a commandment. It's just a statement. But nonetheless, they got the answer wrong. And then Jay Leno said, can you name one of the apostles? Not a single person in the audience could name one of the 12 apostles. But when Jay Leno said, Can you name the Beatles like an anthem? John Paul, George Ringo, everybody knew that. Now we've been asking a question in this series. It's called Church Who Needs It? And we've made some discoveries so far. We've discovered that God thinks the world needs the church. The scripture calls the church the pillar and the ground of all truth. The truth is conveyed through His people, the church on the earth. So God believes the world needs the church. And so we have seen Jesus' own declaration that He would build His church in Matthew 16. He announced that's His program. We've also considered John chapter 17, where Jesus anticipates and prays for certain characteristics that the church would embody. But now, today, we come to Acts chapter 2. This is the beginning. This is the birth of the church. And the day of Pentecost is the birthday of the church. And here we discover exactly what the first church in Jerusalem was like. So, the name of this message is, On your mark, get set, grow. Because from this day forward, the church grows astronomically. Spiritually, personally, people grow, but it also grows numerically. I'm going to have you turn with me to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to be zeroing in on a single verse. But for the sake of context and to understand the flow of the story, let's pick it up in Acts 2 verse 41. And we'll read through the end of the chapter. Then those who gladly received his word, that is Peter's preaching, were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done, through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as any one had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added daily to the church, or to the church daily, those who were being saved. So we here have the mission statement of the first church in Jerusalem, what their priorities were. Number one, it was a learning church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. Number two, it was a caring church. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Number three, it was a worshiping church. They devoted themselves to breaking bread and prayers. And finally, it was a generous church as they pooled their resources and as they took care of one another. These four priorities form the mission statement, and we will consider them week in and week out. Today, we're going to look at one verse and one component of this only, and that is the first part of chapter 2, verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And I hope that by the end of this message, you'll understand a little bit better why I do what I do and why we place such an emphasis here on the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. Now just a footnote before we get into this. When we use the word church, and we use it quite a bit, most often we are not referring to an institution. We're not talking about a particular brand of a church or a denomination of a church. We're talking specifically about a group of people, some may be in one group, some may be in another group, but all true believers, all authentic, born-again believers, wherever they assemble, whether it's a cathedral or a home or a storefront or a field, that comprises the church of Jesus Christ on the earth. And again, today we consider just one portion of verse 42, and I want to make three applicational statements about this first priority, and I'll derive them all from the text. And Here's the statements. Learning leads to growing. That's the first. Second, preaching leads to practicing. It should, and it most often does, when it's the right preaching and the right listening. And number three, continuing leads to persevering. Let's take the first statement and look at verse 42. Learning leads to growing. Now I'm going to focus in on one word here. Doctrine. Doctrine means teaching or instruction. They devoted themselves to doctrine. Not opinions, not thoughts, but doctrine. And this church that was learning was growing. And their learning of doctrine, of teaching, of instruction, led to their growth personally as well as numerically. For verse 47 says, The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And this is how I take that paragraph to read. The church kept its priorities. God honored the church keeping those priorities, and so He added to their numbers daily because they kept those priorities. But this church was a learning church. And because it was learning, it was growing. John R. W. Stott writes, One might say that the Holy Spirit opened a school in Jerusalem that day. The school teachers were the apostles whom Jesus had appointed and trained. And there were 3,000 pupils in kindergarten. Here's what I want you to notice. This is first on their list of what's important. And that surprises a lot of us, because it's not typically what we would think should be on the priority list for a church. Some people might think it should read, they devoted themselves steadfastly to love. It doesn't say that. Why? Or they devoted themselves steadfastly to missions, or to singing, or to service. It says they devoted themselves steadfastly to the apostles' doctrine. How many today are devoted to doctrine? Ask the average Christian that. Go up to a Christian this week who wasn't a part of this message and ask them, Hey, are you devoted to doctrine? And they might look at you like you're the weirdest person in the world. Devoted to doctrine. And yet this is first on the list. If you go into a Christian bookstore, I could almost guarantee you that the number one selling book is not a doctrinal book. It's probably a marriage book or a finance book these days, but probably not a doctrinal book. But the first church kept this as the number one priority, doctrine. Now that word sounds awfully stuffy and rigid and cold, but it shouldn't because it simply means, as I said, instruction or teaching or truth. That's what they devoted themselves to. If ever there was a word that I personally felt sorry for, it's the word doctrine. I feel sorry for it because I hear the way people talk about it. Oh, we're not really into doctrine. It really isn't that important to us. What is important to us is this or that as a priority. It's sort of like when you buy a gadget. I love gadgets. I love phones and cameras and things that beep. I love gadgets, cool new things that make life easy and complicated, but I like gadgets. The thing I don't like about gadgets is the manual. I don't like to read manuals. I like it if there's lots of pictures or if somebody tells me or if there's a tutorial that's a computer video movie I can watch. That I like, but I don't like the manual. They're usually thick and awkward and I never read them until I break my gadget. Then I consult the manual. And that's how a lot of people live their lives. They they fly by the seat of the pants, they'll figure it out as they go along, never consulting the manual that God gave us of how to make life work at its best. That's how many people approach their own lives. That's a concern. In fact, unfortunately, in the church... Many people will say, it doesn't matter what you know, it matters how you feel. And knowledge, Bible knowledge, doctrinal knowledge, is relegated to the back seat. And it often shows up in certain statements like this. Well, it's not about head knowledge, it's about heart knowledge. Now that sounds awfully good and pious and spiritual. It's just a lousy way of thinking. Or, it's not about what you know, it's about who you feel passionately from your heart. Yet, the prophet Hosea said, My people are destroyed from lack of what? Knowledge. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. I discovered something I want to share with you. The word heart, H-E-A-R-T, appears 858 times in the Old Testament. You know what it almost always refers to? The mind. The mind, not the emotions, the mind. Now, we in the West typically use the word heart as a metaphor for the core, the center of our emotional being. I believe this in my heart. I feel this in my heart. The Hebrews did not do that. The Hebrews placed the center of the emotions metaphorically in the abdomen, the gut. In fact, more specifically, the bowels. If you have an old King James Bible, you may have been befuddled when you come across verses like bowels of tender mercy. And you go, what? I'm supposed to have merciful bowels? What's that all about? It's simply their way of saying that the deepest emotion a person can feel is in the gut, the pit of the stomach, we would say. But they would place the heart as where we do our thinking, the mind, that's where they would place it. All of that to say the early church engaged the mind. They were not anti-intellectual. They were not mystical. They didn't avoid theology. They did not avoid doctrine. They put it at the top of their list in their purpose statement. When I gave my life to Jesus Christ... Right afterwards, I went to a Bible teaching church. They just taught through the Bible. And my pastor was Chuck Smith. And to this day, I walk up to him and I thank him for his emphasis on the Bible. Because every Sunday, I heard stuff I never heard growing up. Chuck would smile and say, Turn in your Bibles to... John chapter 1, or whatever it would be. And week by week, I found myself... Getting set free. You will know the truth, said Jesus, and the truth will set you free. I was learning. And as I was learning, I was growing spiritually. And and I'll never forget a couple of guys I met after an evening Bible study there at the church. They had graduated seminary and they said, Skip, you know what? We have learned more at this church in the last one year than we have learned in four years of seminary. And I thought, well, then I'm going to still go to this church and be there week after week and hear Chuck say, now turn in your Bibles too. I wanted to get it. I wanted to learn. I wanted to grow. Learning leads to growing. You and I can never grow spiritually unless we are spiritually learning truth. Second Peter three eighteen. We're told, Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. First Peter two, two, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. I heard about a farmer who was angry that the cost of oats had gone sky high. He couldn't afford to buy them anymore to feed his donkeys. So he did something Unusual. He took sawdust and mixed it with the oats that he gave his mule. It was filling, but he didn't have to pay for the rising cost of oats. Well, as the price got higher and higher, he put more and more sawdust in the oats. And eventually, guess what happened? That's right, the donkey died. Malnutrition. We need spiritual food, we need to eat right. And if it's true that we are what we eat, then it follows that if we feast on truth, we'll become true. If we feast on falsehood, we'll become false. So this priority leads us to make the statement, learning leads to growing. Second statement I want to make is that preaching leads to practicing. Preaching leads to practicing. This time, I draw your attention in verse 42 to the adjective before the noun doctrine, and that is apostles. It wasn't that they devoted themselves to any kind of doctrine, anybody getting up and sharing anything that they felt they wanted to. This was the apostles' doctrine. There was, after all, all sorts of false doctrine going on in Jerusalem, even at that time. So they were all about not just teaching, not just instruction, But the Apostles' Doctrine, as preached through the mouths and the lives of Peter and John, these Apostles who followed Jesus. Now, initially, the Apostles' Doctrine was simply the explanations and the comments made by the Apostles about the Old Testament and how those Old Testament texts applied to people's lives then and there. So Peter would stand up, John would stand up, and show how the law and the prophets and the psalms and the history all work together to give the grand prophetic message of the coming of Jesus Christ in His death and His resurrection. Now I want to show you this. Look at chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, this is after the speaking in tongues on the day of Pentecost, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you and heed my words. Again, know something, use your mind and listen to what I'm saying, my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now he quotes Joel chapter 2 from the Old Testament. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So Joel is showing them that the scripture is fulfilled. And he does it, watch carefully, from the text itself. From Joel. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, Having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, now he quotes Psalm 16, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, etc., etc. And here he shows how David predicted the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he does it from the text. So, the apostles were the first... Preachers, proclaimers, to the early church. And the style of apostolic preaching was expository preaching. That is, the focus of the apostles was on the power of the text, not the personality of the preacher. Showing people from the scriptures what God has said. Firmly rooted in that. That's the safest way to preach, by the way. It saves people from going off on all sorts of tangents. Giving them what Scripture says. But here's the the overall thing I want to show you here. The early church, these first Christians, did not just rely on the Holy Spirit speaking to them personally about truth, but they recognized the office of the men that Jesus had chosen, his apostles. And believed in their authority to preach, to proclaim, and to teach truth. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. As they preached, they devoted themselves to it. And they listened to it. Why? Why is this important? Simply because the truth that is preached is how God primarily changes people's lives. I can see that in my own life. First time I heard the gospel clearly preached through Billy Graham. I remember I remember the day. I remember things that he said that rung true in my heart. He looked at the audience and said, Many of you are lonely. And I thought, I'm lonely. And some of you need forgiveness. And I thought, yeah, I need forgiveness too. And he said several things that rung true. The truth of the Scriptures through the mouth of the instrument the preacher God used that to change my life and that's a biblical principle 1st Corinthians chapter 1 verse 21 it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe so preaching leads to practicing now not always I got to say that because somebody's saying well I know a lot of people who hear preaching and they don't practice it exactly There are exceptions to that. In fact, hearing great preaching, even the apostles' preaching, isn't enough. There are several examples of that. Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, a husband and wife team. They were hypocrites. They lied to the Holy Spirit, but they heard the preaching of Peter and John, the apostles. It wasn't enough. Acts chapter 15, there was a group of legalists who arose dividing the church. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to keep the law of Moses to be saved, even though they had been hearing great preaching by the apostles. And perhaps the best example is Judas Iscariot. He heard the best preacher ever, the Lord Jesus Christ. But hearing that wasn't enough because he didn't respond to it deep in his core of his being. Now, the general rule, however, having said that, is that people who were exposed to the truth through the doctrinal preaching of the apostles became practicing Christians and put into practice the principles they were taught as a general rule. So if you look with me at chapter four for just a moment, verse one, now, as they spoke to the people, those are the preachers speaking to "...the priests, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees, came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000." That's just the male count. It was a very large response. Look at chapter 5, uh, the end of chapter 5, verse 42. And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Look over at chapter 6, verse 7. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests were obedient to the faith. So, that's the full picture. As these apostles taught and preached to unbelievers and believers, they became practicing believers, Christians. And they put into practice the truths that they heard. The truth made its mark through the preaching of the gospel. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. Let me read that to you. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You follow that logic? Salvation requires faith. Faith requires hearing. And hearing requires somebody preaching to them. So that means to us that preaching needs to be in the forefront of this church And that explains why, when we first began, everything, every service, every time we meet, it is centered upon the truth of the teaching and proclamation of the Word of God. Always. Because that was their priority. And that also explains why we have a big honking pulpit on this platform. I have a lot of people say, gosh, every time I come here, that thing is like this looming pulpit. It's making a statement. Exactly that reason. We want people to know that is the core, that is the center, that is the foundation, the proclamation of the truth of God's Word. So learning leads to growing, and preaching leads to practicing, and thus every New Testament church should have preaching, proclaiming, teaching the Word as a number one priority. I've been reading a... A few books lately. One book that I'm reading just about done with is a book on preaching itself. I like to do that at least once a year, just to keep the edge. And there's a chapter in it by Albert Moeller, who's the president of the the, um, Southern Baptist Seminary in Kentucky, Louisville. And he wrote something I'd like to share with you this morning. He says, rarely do we hear these days that a church is distinguished primarily by its preaching. When we hear people speak about their own congregations, generally they speak about something other than preaching. They might speak of a church's ministry. They might speak of specialized programs for senior adults or young people. They might speak of a church's music. Sometimes they might speak of things far more superficial. But rarely, rarely do you hear a church described first and foremost by the character, power, and content of its preaching. This is because few preachers today are true servants of the Word. But the apostles, now those guys, they were servants of the Word. And because they were servants of the Word, meaning they were not above the Word, they were underneath the Word proclaiming the authority of the Scripture and applying it to people's lives, that's why the church devoted itself to the apostles' doctrine. The Apostles' Doctrine. Now you might think, well, Skip, the Apostles have been dead 2,000 years, and, and certainly you're not an Apostle. And you're right, I am not. So, what we do have today, however, is the Apostles' Doctrine in the New Testament. Their letters, their stories, their writings inspired by the Holy Spirit, and still today... As men of God expound the word of God to the people of God, to all of life situations, that is food for change. Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we should then be concerned to the utmost degree of hearing and applying truth. The Apostles' Doctrine. I want to tell you something I found just this week, a couple weeks ago actually, but uh, I, I'd never heard of this. At the beginning of American Christianity, many of the assemblies across our nation, they had not only preachers of the Word, but they had exhorters. That was the official office in the congregation. The exhorters, after the sermon, would make personal application of those truths to the people in that congregation. And one of them during the American Revolution was a young man by the name of Isaac Backus, who, at a mere age of 15 years old, became an exhorter in a congregation. That's where he started this practice. Now let me describe it to you. The sermon would be done. The exhorter would get up, Isaac Backus, And him, knowing the people in the church, would say this, Now, Mrs. Jones... This sermon today means you have to change the way you've been raising your children. And, Mr. Smith, what you heard today in that second point certainly means you can't do business the same way you've been doing it in this town. Can you imagine (laughs) if I had Dave and Neil and the assistant pastors all standing up here, they all know different people in the congregation, they just called you out and said that means you... People would not tolerate that. That was an interesting practice in early American Christianity. The early church, I don't know if they had exhorters as such, but they certainly held each other accountable to the teaching of the apostles or the apostles' doctrine. third and final statement I want to make based on the text is that continuing leads to persevering. And this time I'd like you to emphasize the beginning part of that phrase, they continued steadfastly. Please notice that. It does not say they exposed themselves to the apostles' doctrine, they listened to the apostles' doctrine, or they did it at first, but not later. No, they continued steadfastly. Proskartereo, one Greek word, which means they constantly, consistently, steadfastly persevered in this. They didn't like say, we're into the Apostles' Doctrine, but that's because we're just starting out in our church. But later on, the times will change, and as the times change and people want something different, we're going to abandon that and move on to a different strategy. They stuck with it. And they stayed with it even when they were persecuted and even when the times got very difficult. And so this whole idea of continuing became important. Even down in verse 46... And so continuing daily, they continued those priorities daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And it seems like, though these priorities were forged early on, that there was a temptation in this congregation and others to step away from continuing in that. Because later on, when the gospel goes up north to Syria and Antioch and Barnabas shows up, in Acts 11, verse 23, he came and had seen the grace of God. He was glad and encouraged them that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Stick with it, guys. Hold on to what you know, he would say. In Acts 14, verse 22, Paul goes back to the town of Derby after he had just been stoned. I mean, with rocks. And he goes into that town and says, Strengthening the souls of the disciples, he exhorted them to continue in the faith, saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. I just want to encourage you to continue. Continue in the truth. Continue making truth, the Word of God, the Bible, one of your priorities keep trusting God's promises and as we just keep at this we will become perseverers we'll become overcomers you know we often talk about the Christian walk well how's your walk Now just picture what a walk is a walk is putting one foot in front of the other in front of the other and just sort of plodding along staying at it so this morning you got up and you said the Word of God is important to me I'm going to church and you brought your Bible and tomorrow may be a different day and you might not like feel like getting into the word but you do it anyway you put one foot in front of the other you take your bible out you believe god's promises you keep the truth as your priority in all seasons of life if you lose your job this year god forbid keep this as your priority if somebody in your family dies this year god forbid you keep the truth of god as your priority if the world falls apart which, by the way, the Bible says it will, you keep this as a core value in your life. I've met so many people who follow Jesus and love Jesus when life is good and peachy and great. And I don't feel like reading the Bible today. Life's been tough. Don't be like those described by Jesus in Mark 4, the one sown on stony ground who heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, but they have no root in themselves, And they endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Listen, it's easy to follow Jesus in good times. He calls us to follow him at all times. At all times. So continue, continue. And you'll become perseverers, overcomers. So... We have managed to cover one half of one verse this morning. <laughs> Congratulations. But we have enough to get on our mark to get set and to grow. As we close this morning, I am ask you a question: How can you cultivate the priority of loving Scripture? I say cultivate because it's not natural. It's not automatic. In fact, natural man resists the truth of God. So how do we cultivate a love for Scripture? Number one, get a Bible. Buy a Bible. Have your own Bible. That means i got to pay for it. Well, then find someone who has three or four of them and get one of theirs. But have your own Bible. And carry it with you. Even during the day, put it in your briefcase, put it in your purse, get a small one, a New Testament, put it on your PDA or your iPhone. You can get them now, little Bible versions. I have two or three of them on my iPhone. Carry it around with you. It doesn't mean you have to get the big honkin' family Bible like I had and put it in the wagon or in the back of the pickup truck. <laughs> but just get a Bible and carry it with you. Number two, ready? Bring your Bible with you to church. Now, I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty if you didn't bring it, but here's why you should bring it. Because when we say, turn in your Bibles too, like I heard as a young man, turn in your Bibles too. Eventually, I found out where everything was. It helped me later on because we'd read something at church and then about three months later, I got to find that verse. Now I know where it is because I marked it. Carry it with you. Number three, Bring a notebook. You say, you lost me there. Forget it. Not going to happen. Okay. We give you notes right here. A blank page. Bring a pen. That's all. If that's too much, a pencil. (laughs) And take notes. Write down cross-references. Main applicational points. Number four. Tell somebody that you know one thing you learned today at church. Find someone who hasn't been to this, part of this message. Email them or call them. And just one thing that spoke to your heart that's important, share it with them. And here's why. If you want to learn something, teach it. Teach it. It becomes ground in when you teach it. It becomes a part of your fiber when you teach it. And finally, number five, memorize Scripture. Not the whole Bible, but I know some that have tried to do that. But memorize key verses... When you have your devotions in the morning, when you listen to a sermon on Sunday, just one little section, memorize it, store up his word. As David said, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. It'll be powerful in days ahead. So the Apostles' Doctrine, the Bible, read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. And back to um, Ben Franklin's statement, God helps those who help themselves i never forget my dad quoted that to me. I remember him standing over me. I just a brand new Christian. And he said, you know, the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. And I didn't know any different. I went, okay. Then I went and read the Bible all the way through. I didn't find that verse. You know what I found? I found the Bible teaches quite the opposite. God helps the helpless, the weak. The people who are broken. The people with baggage. Us. That's who God helps. And God is ready and willing to help you today. To put your life back together. To redeem your soul. To strengthen you. To face the future. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are committed to our growth. You want us to grow individually. You want us to to grow emotionally as people you want us to grow spiritually you want us to persevere and we read that tribulation produces perseverance so Lord as we day by day walk putting one foot in front of another plodding along keeping these priorities especially for our own memory today the apostles doctrine the teaching of truth I pray we would grow. I pray we would put into practice what we hear. And I pray that we would persevere with this as our priority in good times and bad times at all times. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvary